Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, many years ago in the London Times, an editor asked his readers, what is wrong with the world? And he wanted people to write back and explain what's wrong with the world. And one man wrote back the pithiest two-word answer to the question, what's wrong with the, wor with the world? This was his two-word answer. I am. Signed, G.K. Chesterton. Now, who was this G.K. Chesterton? And if you haven't heard of him, you're going to hear of him today. He is one of the most witty writers of the past couple of centuries, one of the most influential Christian writers of the past couple of centuries. In fact, Chesterton helped partially bring C.S. Lewis to faith the problem with Chesterton, it can be difficult to find a book or an essay that you can read and understand and enjoy without a little bit of guidance. And we have a resource for you that will give you that guidance so you can enjoy and get the benefits of Chesterton. That resource has been written by my friend, Ethan Nicole, and you're, you've probably heard that name before. Who's Ethan Nicole? Ethan Nicole is one of the brilliant minds behind the Babylon Bee, and we're going to talk a little Babylon Bee here today, but he's just come out with a new book called Chesterton's Gateway, 14 Essays to Get You Hooked on Chesterton. It's always great to have Ethan on. Ethan, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for that introduction. Well, man, this yes. book is a lot of fun, and you're making Chesterton understandable. For many of us, we like so many of the quotes we hear from Chesterton, but right. to be honest with you, I started reading one of his primary books, Orthodoxy. I got through maybe mm -hmm. a third of it, and I went, I'm getting some good stuff here, but it's 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 a tough grind to get through some of this it stuff. Is. But you knew that, and you've made it easy to understand the brilliance of Chesterton in this new book. First of all, give us a little bit of background. Who was this guy, Chesterton? Uh, Chesterton was a mostly a journalist in his time. He wrote a lot of opinion pieces. I mean, he wrote like something like 5,000 essays in his lifetime, wow. 100 books, just a prolific writer. Um, he was very prophetic. Uh, a lot of the things he said came true. After he died, he predicted a lot of the, the evils and horrors that would come in the 1940s, and he died in the late 30s. Mm -hmm. um, he he was uh, right up there with George Bernard Shaw and H.G. Uh, Wells and all these guys. He'd debate them publicly. He was good friends with them, loved them despite you know vehemently disagreeing with them, um, but had this very jovial relationship. Um, he's one of the most quoted authors out there, but also... Uh, at least until recent times, uh, for a long time, one of the late, least read, there's been a real resurgence of Chesterton. Um, I got into him because 
I was a big C.S. Lewis fan, and I was looking for something in the same vein. So I thought, oh, Chesterton's supposed to be just like C.S. Lewis. I uh-huh. started trying to read him, and uh, I had a lot of trouble getting into it. Like you were saying, a lot of people do that. They get into orthodoxy, and they just got lost. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. I would love to read this and discuss it with somebody. Like, do we all sit there and talk about it? Uh, so I ended up starting a Chesterton group with a bunch of my friends who are uh, Christian, conservative-leaning artists uh, who had moved to the L.A. area. We started this group. Um, and it became one of the greatest men's groups I'd ever been a part of. We'd all get together, cigars and whiskey in Chesterton on Sundays after <laughs> church. And uh, it was it was awesome. And so my goal was to make a book that gives that experience. Uh, it, it, has, um, it has introductions that kind of set you up for what you're going to read. It has footnotes uh-huh. that are very casual. They're not scholarly. They're me going, oh, I think this means that and me kind of guessing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's more conversational. It's not a, it's not a British guy uh, showing you how smart he is and how he, he really gets Chesterton. It's, it's just casual reading with uh, your buddy Ethan. Well, for those who don't know, Chesterton was born in 1874 and he died in 1936. So he died at 62. And mm-hmm. he was a man of great girth. Uh, in True. fact, he probably went between 300 and 400 pounds and uh, there's a story about him during World War I, which I find hilarious because he was a funny guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it even says this on his Wikipedia page. It says, Chesterton, Chesterton was a large man standing six foot four inches and weighing 286 pounds, but he probably went more than that. His girth gave rise yeah. to an anecdote during the First World War when a lady in London asked uh, why he was not, quote, out on the front. And Chesterton replied, if you go around to the side, you will see that I am. <laughs> he was so big that, yeah, I'm actually He's on the very, front, lady, even though. <laughs> and it's so, just yeah, on the other side of it. humor. So oh, funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was just hilarious. And he had so many witty quips that I think many people have heard, but they, they don't know the source. Can you go just right. give give us a couple of them? I got a couple here that I can I can jump to, but what are some of the quips or the quotable uh sayings that that Chesterton had, Ethan? Oh man, there's so many. Um I'm trying to find some of the funnier ones. Uh you know, I always loved I mean, well, he has a whole essay on cheese and it's very funny. Uh, he always uh-huh. manages to make a deeper point. But you know, he says poets have been uh what what's he say? Poets have been seriously silent, dangerously silent, not, something silent on the. Uh huh. Poets poets have been seriously silent on the subject of cheese. <laughs> the and, subject uh, of cheese. Okay. Yeah. So and he right he says that you know my epic. He he talks about how he has an epic in you know something like forty volumes, uh, the importance of cheese in Western civilization. He hasn't had time to release it, so he wrote this essay. But <laughs> he has these. <laughs> facetious things he, he paints himself as this absent-minded guy he talks about uh how he he just the, the random things he finds in his pockets um mm-hmm. it's been you know there's stories about him walking around the street he goes and telegraphs his wife and asks her where am i supposed to be <laughs> he's very absent-minded professor yeah yeah and his funny quote about a- absent-mindedness is uh, absence of mind is really just presence of mind somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right He uh, famously said, the real question is not why is Christianity so bad when it claims to be so good? He said, the real question is, 
why are all human beings so bad when they claim to be so good? Because mm. you hear people all the time saying, oh, yeah, people are inherently good, right? Right. When in reality, when, what's it, was it Chesterton who said the most empirical fact, I think it was Chesterton who said uh, the, the, the saying that is so prevalent that men are inherently good can be empirically verified as false so easily. I can't remember how he put it, but that's right. the one thing that people believe. People are inherently good, and yet empirically you can demonstrate it. It's exactly the opposite. We're not inherently good. Yeah, he said so, sin is the one provable thing, and we have even denied that. That's right. So you don't even that's have right. that basis to start from. And one of the essays, in fact, you, you picked 14 essays uh, for this right. book that Chesterton wrote. And we're coming up on a break, so we're not going to be able to get to listing them all here. But the book is called Chesterton's Gateway, 14 essays to get you hooked on Chesterton, essays, selections, introductions, footnotes, and illustrations all by my guest, Ethan Nicole. Yes, that Ethan Nicole of the Babylon Bee. Ethan, uh, before we go to the break, what do you do for the Babylon Bee, by the way? Uh, my title is the creative director. So when I came on, I was mostly doing uh, photoshops. I was writing a lot of articles uh -huh. at the time too. And then that kind of morphed into, I've always had this vision for broadening out the Babylon Bee into other media. So uh, animation, video, all that kind of stuff. Well, well, you're doing plenty of that. And if you guys haven't been to the Babylon Bee website, why not? If you haven't subscribed, why not? TheBabylonBee.com. Check it out. Your trusted source for fake news. And you need a pick-me-up every day, and the Babylon Bee will give it to you. Much more with Ethan Nicole, his brand-new book, Chesterton's Gateway. Pick it up. It's great. We're back in just two minutes. Don't go anywhere. If you're low on the FM dial looking for a national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. You're not going to hear this on NPR. We're talking to my friend Ethan Nicole. His brand new book is dealing with Chesterton. Yes, G.K. Chesterton. If you hadn't heard of him, you've heard some of what he said because he's very quotable. The book is called Chesterton's Gateway, 14 Essays to Get You Hooked on Chesterton. And, you know, I didn't do the proper introduction to Ethan. He didn't get a round of applause, but we'll do so now. Here he is. Yeah, there we go. He's getting a round of applause now, ladies and gentlemen. Ethan, one better. of the themes. What's that? Now I feel better. <laughs> yeah, I feel much better now. One of the <laughs> <Yeah>. themes uh, <laughs> that Chesterton talks about is this theme of wonder. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, this is when I first cracked into Chesterton, I think the first book I wrote is Heretics, because I was going to read Orthodoxy. Everybody starts with mm -hmm. Orthodoxy, but I found out that Heretics was actually the book, the first book in a, in this in Orthodoxy was kind of the follow up. So I always uh -huh. want to do things in order. And he starts off, uh, he starts off talking about a theme he constantly talks about, and that's wonder. That's kind of stepping back and admitting what we don't know, um, and the things we take for granted. One of my favorite essays. Uh, it's the first one I put in my book. Uh, is from his book, Tremendous Trifles, uh, which if you can see from the title, he makes he likes making a big deal out of small things. Mm -hmm. um, so he, he, there's this essay in there. It's the introduction to the book. He tells this little fairy tale in there about Peter and Paul, these two kids playing in their Eng little English garden. And in the garden, there's like a little faucet and a little piece of cork. 
and uh, some little shrubs and things like that. And then a milkman walks up who's a fairy and he offers them each one wish. One wish is to become a giant. So he gets, you know, he becomes massive and he starts striding across continents. He sees the Grand Canyon. It looks like the little kind of uh, muddy area of his garden. He sees Niagara Falls. It looks like the little faucet. And he just realizes he's shrunken the world down to make it not interesting because he's looking mm-hmm. down on it. And he just has his head cut off like any giant in a fairy tale. And uh, the other kid decides to be a pygmy. He becomes microscopic. And suddenly that garden becomes the most amazing thing. Uh, he sees it for what it really is because he's now looking up at it. And uh, the, he says that the uh, the hills are blazing with the light of the sun. Uh, the cork, the little piece of cork looks like this, some kind of amazing mountain formed out of Armageddon. You know, it just goes in all this beautiful mm-hmm. language. Uh, so that concept of, uh, you know, he says, uh, he says Satan, uh, exults in looking down on things or he wants to be up on the peak cause he wants to look down on things, not because he likes the view, but he likes to see, uh, he likes to see people as insects. He likes to look down and, mm-hmm. uh, the idea of, of taking a position of humility, not just, uh, you know, we're often told to do it as it's our duty to be obedient and humble, but that there's actually a broadening of, uh, that your world will become an infinitely bigger, uh, God will be bigger, um, the mundane will become magical uh, in humility. Um, and the other quote, you know, this is uh, one of his most famous quotes, but I just love this. It's out of ethics, uh, ethic, the ethics of Elfland in in um, orthodoxy. And he talks, he's talking about how we take for granted things because they repeat in nature. So the sun mm-hmm. rising every day. Mm-hmm. He says, because children have abounding vitality because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they, children, want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> the grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It's possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. I love that picture of God that he paints. God doesn't grow weary of these things or, you know, the Mm -hmm. fact that a thing repeats doesn't make it any less magical. You know, in fact, that I think that's one of the best arguments for God out there, uh, believe it or not. It, it really goes back to Aristotle, uh, final causality, and Thomas Aquinas picked it up in the 1200s, and he said, this is going to be my fifth way to argue for God. And basically, the argument says that all of nature is going in a direction, that an mm-hmm. acorn, if it's properly nourished, will always go in the direction of becoming an oak tree. You got to ask yourself a question. Why do, why does it always do that? Why doesn't it become an elm mm-hmm. tree or a birch tree mm-hmm. or a seahorse? You say, well, it's programmed to become an oak <laughs> tree. Yeah, well, who programmed it, right? Why does it do that repeatedly over and over again? I mean, it, an oak tree doesn't I mean, an acorn doesn't have a mind, right? It's not sitting in the ground right. going, "How do I become an oak tree?" right? But it reliably mm-hmm. goes in a direction. Well, if it reliably goes in a direction, but it doesn't have a mind of its own, there must be an external mind directing it toward an end. In other words, there must be a director. Those are my words, not Aquinas's words, but there, mm-hmm. there must be someone directing all of this toward an end. And nature 
although it does the same thing over and over again, we have to ask ourselves the question, why does it do that? Because there's a mind behind it. And Chesterton is brilliant for pointing out that, oh, it might, it might seem mundane to us, but it's not mundane at all. Uh, it's, it's amazing what happens. I'm, and I think most people are amazed uh, if, if they really stop to think about it. That mm -hmm. when two human, a man and a woman come together and have sex, and nine months later, a human being pops out. Go, <laughs> How does this happen? I mean, it happens right. all the time. We don't call it a miracle, but it happens all the time. And when you see that, Ethan, you know, you, I don't, you don't say when you see a baby, you see your own flesh and blood come out of your wife. You don't go, evolution, right? right? You go, this is incredible. <laughs> Yet it yeah. happens every day. And Chesterton gets us to stop and say, man, maybe we ought to consider that. Maybe we ought to think about that. Maybe we ought to just, just seeing an ant walking across the ground ought to cause us wonder. Kids are, 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 um, are enthralled by that. And we're not. Mm -hmm. We just blow it. Hey, that happens all the time, kid. Let's keep moving. Right? <laughs> yeah, he talks about how uh, the older you get, you know, you Kid, you know, a, a, a very young child, you don't need to come up with all this crazy stuff to make them, to amaze them. They're amazed simply by, I can't remember if he says a, a door or a wall, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> they're amazed by the simplest things. Yeah. And uh, we, we simply have to keep uh, creating ways to amaze ourselves as we get older. Uh, he even said, he says that, uh, you know, one reason that we create fairy tales, we create the unicorn, we add a horn to a horse because we forget how amazing it was the moment we realized horses exist, you know? Uh, <laughs> kind yeah, of well, in fact, that... you say kids are amazed by anything. This Christmas, when if kid gets a toy, he'll play with the cardboard box for a while, you yeah. know? I mean, no, that it comes I in. have my son, my son's obsessed with garbage trucks. So he's, you know, he saves his money up, he buys a new toy garbage truck. He has a fleet of toy garbage trucks. <laughs> But one day he asked me to turn a, guard, a cardboard box into a garbage truck. And so we sat there and duct taped a bunch of cardboard together. I drew a magic marker on it. I did my best to put a little side claw on there and, a, and a, you know, a, a, a loader and everything. You must have the cleanest house and in the it's neighborhood. His <laughs> it's his favorite. It's his favorite. Oh, no. No, it's, a, it's filthy because he fills every garbage truck with just junk he finds from around the house and then dumps uh -huh. it out. And so he just scatters filth all over the house. Chesterton no, said something else uh, <laughs> regarding wonder about adventure. Tell us what he says about that. Yeah. Well, another one of his most famous quotes, he says, an adventure is only an inconvenience rightly considered. An inconvenience is only an adventure wrongly considered. And this is from uh, his essay on chasing after one's hat, which is a very short, simple essay. Uh, it's very funny. Um, but he talks about the, uh, the guy at the park chasing his hat in the wind and how angry he is and he, and he you know he talks about how he'd like to walk up to that guy and say why aren't you happy right now you're you're creating such a hilarious sight for uh you're bringing so much joy to everybody here at the park uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, he talks about these inconveniences if you can uh wrap your head around uh look at it differently um you know you can see that you're you're on some kind of adventure you he talks about the guy who's trying to get his drawer loose who has a jammed drawer and he, uh -huh. he's, he's like, you know, why don't you see yourself as, you know, Arthur trying to pull the sword from the stone, you know, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> he has this right, very, right. taking this very childish view of it, which my kid would, you know, one of my favorite memories of my kid, my first daughter, uh, we had a curtain hook above the seat that I'd sit with her by her crib to get her to go to sleep. 
And she was so fascinated by this curtain hook. It was like she was reaching up and touching God. <laughs> she just uh-huh. couldn't, because she was so excited she could reach it. And then when she could touch it. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think that there's just that constant reminder to like, to look at the things you take for granted. And also mm-hmm. we find the security in the idea that we, we take, you know, just like we're talking about things that are repeated or, uh, we get wrapped up in reason and logic. And we, uh, this is a big thing that Chesterton talks about. He starts off orthodoxy talking about the madman. Mm. He says, there's a madness inherent in, in building your worldview completely on reason alone. And, mm. uh, and, and how that leads to madness. Um, what, what, what do you think he meant you, by you, that? Did, did, is, is he, is he, he's not saying to be unreasonable. He's saying that reason alone isn't enough. Right. That there's, he likes to talk about paradox. How there's, how there's two truths that are often true at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And often when you build a worldview on one concept, you have to throw all the other stuff out. So for instance, when somebody becomes a naturalist and believes that everything is nature, Everything, you know, they suddenly have to throw all these things out that are really the most inherent, most important things in life. Yeah. Love, beauty, all, all this stuff has to be kind of like taken for granted and, and tossed aside and just be seen as like, uh, oh, it's just mating uh, or that's just, uh, we just made that up. We just made up beauty. Uh, it's just a thing we came up with ourselves. Right. Um, it's just a matter of uh, of chemicals going off in our brains and, and opinion, that yeah. appeal to us somehow. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess even yeah. opinions and tastes don't actually happen if you if you truly believe that we're just purely chemical creatures. Mm-hmm. Then even this conversation right now is pointless. <laughs> yeah, right. And the meaning right. we're just moist robots. Out. Yeah. Yes, that's gross. <laughs> that's all we are. We're just moist robots. If if atheism is true, they're trying to reduce everything to to physicality. They're trying to reduce everything to molecules in motion. But as you said, and as Chesterton says. The most important things in life are not molecules in motion. Love, justice, beauty. Uh, these things aren't, you can't reduce to molecules in motion. You can't even reduce reason to molecules in motion. For all these people claiming to be reasonable, right? If reason is just molecules bumping into one another, we should have no reason to believe it because we're not thinking, we're just reacting. So Chesterton was ahead yeah. of his time then, wasn't he? And ha- By the way, how did he influence Lewis? Because you mentioned that, Ethan. Uh, he had a book called The Everlasting Man, which is uh-huh. one of his hardest reads, but it's one of his most beautiful. It's just a glorious book. It was written later in his life, um, a much more mature Chesterton. And uh, he really looks, he, he takes this broad view of history and he looks at how there's no other explanation than God created man and man is in, in God's image through the whole thing. All right, let's pick that up right after the break. You're listening to I'm Not Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, my guest, Ethan Nicole, his brand new book, Chesterton's Gateway, 14 essays to get you hooked on Chesterton, and you want to get hooked on Chesterton because he was brilliant and ahead of his time. We're back in just two minutes, so don't go anywhere. I want to mention that I'll be down in Port St. Lucie, Florida this weekend for Saturday night services and then Sunday services at Calvary Chapel, Port St. Lucie. That's December 4th and 5th. And then in the afternoon, 2.30, we're going to continue with I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist there at Calvary Chapel, Port St. Lucie and take your questions. And then the following week, be out west, the Northwest, Northwest Church Apologetic Seminar 
in Federal Way, Washington, that's just south of Seattle, about 20 to 30 minutes. I'll be there on Saturday and Sunday, December 11th and 12th, Lord willing. Check our website, crossexamine.org, and events for that. We also have some new online courses coming up for January. Check that out. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. And if you want to give somebody a nice gift, you can buy a gift certificate to one of those courses. Just go to uh, crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. My guest today is Ethan Nicole. Yes, that Ethan Nicole of Babylon B fame. Well, he's also put together a great book on Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton. It's called Chesterton's Gateway, 14 Essays to Get You Hooked on Chesterton. And uh, Ethan, one of the things that Chesterton continually debated with uh, George, was it George Bernard Shaw? Was this mm-hmm. issue of progressivism that in, in, in his day, that meant that we were going to get progressively better, that man was inherently good and will ultimately lead to perfection. What was Chesterton's view on that? He had a lot of views on that. I mean, he was in the days of modernism where the whole idea was do what works, you know, is, uh, get rid mm. of all this tradition and all these old ideas and just whatever works, we do that. Uh, and that had a lot of implications that he felt uh, he needed to warn his culture about. But one of the uh, big criticisms he made, and this this essay is in my book called The Medical Mistake, where he uh-huh. talks about, uh, you know, all the books, uh, sociology books and things talk about uh, how there is a great illness and this is, uh, you know, they'll talk about what we need to do. And they talk, mm-hmm. but then he says, you know, in, in the, in the, when you look at a human being and you say somebody is sick or they're hurt, they're, you know, they're broken, they need to be fixed. You have an idea of what a, uh, a right human being is, what a human body is supposed to look like and be before you go and heal them. And he says the big problem in prog- in progressivism and in all of our social programs is nobody can agree on what the human body was supposed to look like in that situation. But they all want to, one guy wants to add an extra eye, one guy wants three arms, and uh, everybody has a different idea of what the, what a, you know, what, what the ideal human is. And mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of how progress works. Progress just means whatever you think would be good uh, and just go that direction. And it's everybody, it does kind of become what en- eventually became postmodernism is everybody chasing their feelings. Right. And so that's, that's, that was one of his big ones. He also talks about how, uh, you know, this age of freedom of religion that they had kind of come into where everybody can talk about their faith. Everyone can talk about uh-huh. their beliefs. He said the big effect of that has been that uh, he says, never has there been so little discussion about the nature of man as now when for the first time anyone can discuss it. He talks in Heretics about uh, about how, you know, you can have, you're allowed, you're supposed to have a worldview on everything except for everything. So you can have a worldview <laughs> on sports. You can have worldview on, uh, you know, your favorite color or uh, the MCU universe or whatever. But uh-huh. like if you have a point of view on how it all comes together, that's the one thing you're not supposed to talk about. <laughs> Right. You can't you because can't you can't have a grand people. narrative how everything's supposed to be because there are no grand narratives, but you can have your own truth in 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 the small things, not the big things, right? Right. And that's why he talks about the uh another quote, if there is one thing worse than the modern weakening of major morals, it's the modern strengthening of modern of of uh of minor morals. So in his time, the big thing was cleanliness. Everybody you know the, mm-hmm. the morality of soap. And, uh, and he, he often said that this is the, uh, the rich talking because the rich are the ones taking baths. So they wanted to put this on everybody else. Um, you know, probably in our time, whether it's masking up or recycling, you know, we turn these things into major 
moral issues and then throw out the real moral issues that uh, everybody takes for granted. Hey, that is a brilliant comment. In fact, let me read it again. Chesterton, if there is one thing worse than the modern weakening of major morals is the modern strengthening of modern, of minor morals. Minor. Minor morals. That's so true because it's going on right now. Ethan, as you know, we now have the nanny state and you guys at the Babylon Bee do a great job of pointing that out. We have (laughs) the nanny state where we prohibit people from using certain light bulbs, but we won't (laughs) prohibit them from killing their children. And and this goes, this, this is the kind of injustice that Jesus spoke directly to to the politicians of his day, the Pharisees. They were the politicians. They helped run Israel. Rome delegated a lot of their authority to the Sanhedrin, upon whom or in whom was the the, the Pharisees. They were part of the Sanhedrin. And he said, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. I think he says this in Matthew chapter 23. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, righteousness, these kind of things. You're tithing your (laughs) spices but you're neglecting the weightier (laughs) matters of the law. You're strengthening minor morals, but you are weakening major morals. And if Jesus were here today in person, I think he would highlight exactly what Chesterton said, because that's probably where Chesterton's getting it from. He's getting it from Jesus. And Mm -hmm. he would scold these politicians for saying, oh, you can't use certain light bulbs, but yeah, you want to kill your children. That's just fine. I mean, that's, that's brilliant commentary right there. Yeah, one of his funnier criticisms, uh, but also very serious, was that, you know, his culture uh, could go on and on about the evils of alcohol, but they couldn't really come up with a good reason not to drink cyanide. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, you know, we're not sure why you should be alive, but you at least shouldn't get drunk all the time. We don't know why. That's (laughs) right. That's right. Uh, Yeah, he he went after the progressives. And I guess Bernard Shaw was a, a, a progressive, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah, atheist, and, socialist. Uh-huh. Sorry, I just killed and, and a he, bug. And he and Chesterton had, uh, I, I guess, several public debates, but they were very friendly, weren't yeah. they? Very friendly. Yeah. You read, uh, there's, they, I've seen at least one transcript out there, and uh-huh. uh, probably the first three pages are them joking with each other and, and uh, complimenting each other and telling the audience how great the other guy is. Uh, oh, they really? had a great relationship. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that it, was a, it, it, and that was another thing I love about Chesterton that I I want people to get. Like I want to get the idea that you can love, like to truly love your enemy. It's not that begrudging love, you know. Uh-huh. Where it's like I guess I love them. I'll pray for them, you know. But they're jerks. Yeah. Like uh, to to truly take joy. He wrote a, my my favorite fiction because that's the thing about Chesterton is he wrote a bunch of fiction books. He wrote plays. He wrote poetry. He, he was uh-huh. an illustrator. That's something I love about him. He's a cartoonist. He's a he, he mm-hmm. dropped out of art school. Um. He did a book called The Ball on the Cross, and it's about a, a, a Catholic, a hardcore Catholic Irishman showing up in England, and there's this uh, Scottish atheist there who has uh, insulted the name of Mother Mary, and <laughs> so uh-huh. they decide to have a duel to the death. Uh, but all of society does not think they should have this duel, and so they become buddies. It's a buddy comedy where they're running, you're uh, being chased across the countryside confronting different philosophies. Each one is telling them why uh, the, the question of God's existence is not really that important and they shouldn't kill each other over it. And uh, <laughs> okay. and they, the thing they bond on is that they both think it's that serious. 
And they, uh -huh. they, they become friends, but they both think it's that serious. <laughs> it's really good. Very funny. One of my, it's, it's pretty easy to read. I mean, it gets trippy, but uh, like a lot of Chesterton, you don't know what he was smoking sometimes. But uh, he uh, has a lot of really funny parts and very readable. But in your new book... My you are putting footnotes that will help people understand maybe the cultural things that we don't get now a hundred or so years later that he was speaking about. Yeah. And the book again is called Chesterton's Gateway, 14 Essays to Get You Hooked on Chesterton. Let me go back to Bernard Shaw for a second because apparently Shaw was skinny and of course Chesterton wasn't. Guy, yeah. yeah, and uh, here's, here's one of their exchanges in one of their debates uh, he, it says on another occasion, uh, Chesterton remarked to his friend, George Bernard Shaw, to look at you, anyone would think a famine had struck England. Shaw retorted to look at you, anyone would think you had caused it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's he, a apparently, <laughs> he apparently ate all the food, right? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, the, the uh, footnotes. That's one thing about Chesterton books out there. There's so uh -huh. many Chesterton books. You, 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 they're, they're public domain, so tons of people are publishing, republishing them. You'll find some okay. with a few footnotes, but never like all the stuff you don't get. Like you know, so I wanted to on mine. I did over 400 footnotes in this thing, and uh, anytime something's confusing, I just went ahead and put a footnote down. And so that's one of the ways that I, I wanted to make it more digestible. I also broke up some of the massive paragraphs. I'll write these giant paragraphs sometimes. Um, so those are two main ways that I did it. And I've gotten a lot of compliments on the audiobook. actually. It, it's uh, because most Chesterton audiobooks you get are in a very nasal British voice. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, they just blows through the, the, the essay. I, I incorporate the footnotes into the audiobook, and they're very conversational. And I think it's my, it's the best version of what I was trying to do with this book and making it casual and conversational Chesterton. Now, are you reading the audio? Yeah, it's me. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Well, get the audio book then, ladies and gentlemen. Chesterson's Gateway. There's, here's another thing that uh, I, I, I thought was great. Uh, Chesterton actually at one point pretty much went after Shaw's progressivism. And here's what he said. Mr. Shaw, not being easily pleased, decides to throw over humanity with all its limitations and go in for progress for its own sake. If man, as we know him, is incapable of the philosophy of progress, Mr. Shaw asks, not for a new kind of philosophy, but for a new kind of man. And here's the analogy he draws to this. He says, it is rather as if a nurse had tried a rather bitter food for some years on a baby and on discovering that it was not suitable, should not throw away the food and ask for new food, but throw, away, but throw the baby out the window and ask for a new baby. <laughs> and it seems to me, unquote, it seems to me that's what so-called progressives do. They, right. they they don't understand human nature and they think they can change human nature with philosophy somehow. Right. Uh, instead of getting a new philosophy that actually comports with human nature. I mean, it goes back to the to the whole idea that conservatives want to change their behavior to fit reality, whereas leftists want to change reality to fit their behavior. And I think Chesterton yeah, realized that's, that's that long of, ago. Right. And that's kind What's of that? uh, the wishful thinking of evolution, uh, you know, is that we aren't really a thing. Humans, you know, we're some morphed there's no, there's version no human of a nature. thing from, yeah. well, there's just, even just physically, 
we we you know we started out as these blobs, fish, whatever became some kind of squirrel monkey to a monkey, and now what are we? We're just some on the path to becoming whatever, some kind of nine-armed octopus with eyes in its uh, mouth. I don't know what we're gonna become, but uh, so you no, know, we can become whatever well, they want us to become. Let's figure out what we're gonna become right after the break. Where you're listening, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I'm Frank Turk. My guest Ethan Nicole his brand new book Chesterton's Gateway. You want to pick it up? Get the audio version because Ethan's reading it and he's also one of the brains behind the Babylon Bee. Back in two minutes. G.K. Chesterton, an amazing mind who passed away back in 1936, but he wrote about 80 books and about 5,000 essays, and my friend Ethan Nicole has picked out 14 of his best essays in his brand new book, Chesterton's Gateway. 14 essays to get you hooked on Chesterton, and you want to get hooked on Chesterton because he was a brilliant mind who was way ahead of his time. In fact, uh, Ethan, there's a, a famous essay, I think it's in your book, about Chesterton's mm-hmm. gate. What's that about? Right. So this is a concept that a lot of people, you may have heard, Chesterton's Gate. It's a famous analogy mm-hmm. that he made. It's out of his uh, essay, The Drift from Domesticity. Uh, and he says, let us say for the sake of simplicity, a fence or gate erected across a road. The more modern type of reformer goes gaily up to the fence and says, I don't see the use of this. Let's clear it away. To which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer, if you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then when you can come back and tell me uh, that you do see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. So this is his respect for tradition. He talks about, uh, you know, he says, I'm a Democrat. I believe I do believe in democracy. And that's why I believe in tradition, because it's the democracy of the dead. It's the, all people throughout history have said this thing is important. And so for us to arrogantly think that our culture in this time, uh, our little fad that we're in right now here on Earth, to just tear it all down, uh, there's nothing more arrogant and undemocratic than that, to have no respect mm. for those who went before you. Uh, so that's one thing that that helped me a lot. I was in a crisis of faith at the time that I started reading Chesterton, um, and that made me, you know, it, it helped me not only start to see my life and the world around me with, with wonder and, and new eyes and to embrace humility uh, with joy, um, but to suddenly have that respect and to to really see the smallness and the uselessness of fads and of uh, mm. the way people, just because everybody's thinking a certain way right now, uh, it doesn't really uh, add any credence to to it as true. Right. In fact, Chesterton so famously said, I, I use this quote in one of my presentations. He famously said, fallacies do not cease being fallacies when they become fashions. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot yeah. of things that are fads and they're fashionable now uh, that still aren't true. Like, like a man can become a woman or a woman become, become a man or what you think in your head makes you what you are. Those are fallacies. They're fashionable, but they're still fallacies. And yet people want to believe them. Uh, so yeah, they, do, they never to- define their terms. Like we were just talking about how uh, during the break, how uh-huh. there's this idea of following your heart. Nobody yeah. says what the heart means. Most people deny that when you really gets down to it, their worldview doesn't even really uh, make sense of what a soul is or what the heart would be, uh, yet we're told right. to follow it. And uh, same with yeah. what is a woman? What is a man? What, what is, you know, mm-hmm. if we're all just kind of morphing evolved globs, 
it's all meaningless. So to to even say this is that, uh, you're not getting to the heart of it. And I think that's something that drove Chesterton crazy with modern philosophies. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, uh, we just spoke about for a second the idea that a man can become a woman, a woman can become a man. All that presupposes fixed genders. Because if right. I'm a man and I think uh, that I'm really a woman trapped in a man's body, I have to have some idea of what a man is and some idea of what a woman is to recognize the difference. And I also have to have some idea of what a man is and some idea of what a woman is in order to want to transition to become to become a woman. In other words, yeah, you're right. presupposing there are men and women to even have the conversation or even have the mismatch in your psychology between your psychology and your biology. And that's what gender dysphoria is. It's a mismatch between your psychology and your biology. And those, those things are presupposed then, but people wanna make it seem like, no, it's all fluid. If it's all fluid, transgenderism doesn't exist. If it's all fluid, men and women don't exist, which means transgenderism doesn't exist. I mean, we've, we've had these conversations on this program before. So even though it's fashionable to say that men and women are interchangeable, it's a fallacy. Uh, and I love also right. what he said about this here, uh, Ethan. He said, Chesterton, I can't tell you how true what he says. This He says this. He says, <laughs> thoroughly worldly people never understand even the world. They rely altogether on a few cynical maxims, which are not true, unquote. <laughs> maxims. Yeah. Because the worldly you know, person isn't really looking at uh, the earth as a creation of God that was good in the beginning. They're looking at, uh -huh. uh, you know, modern times, fads and uh, their peers and trying to fit in with them. <laughs> yeah. Which drove wait, wait, Chester which, nuts. It, he was a singular voice in his time against eugenics. Everybody was all about eugenics. And he was the one guy going, we're going to be killing a lot of people here. This is really dangerous. Uh, maybe we should uh, pump the brakes a little bit. And he was the one so guy. So the fad of his day was eugenics, the idea that uh, there were different yeah. uh, racial groups and some were superior to others. Yeah, I wonder where they got that. Darwin's uh, <laughs> book, actually, Origin yeah. of Species. It's on the cover. The favored the races. Yeah. yeah. And Margaret yeah, Sanger, who started Planned Parenthood. Right. And imagine being in that culture when that's, th th these are ideas that are just exciting to talk about for everybody. They're new fads. Uh -huh. World War II hasn't happened yet, you know, so they, they don't, they haven't seen the cost. We take for granted right. what we now know, you know. Yeah, it's but amazing. These, these cynical maxims that people have, you've, you've heard them, ladies and gentlemen, things like, oh, um, all religions teach basically the same thing. They're all the same, right? Or mm -hmm. uh, the Bible's been changed throughout the centuries, so you can't trust it. Or there's no way you can know anything about God. These are all right. maxims which are not true. In fact, a couple of those are self-defeating right there. <laughs> like, for example, you can't yeah, know anything about designed. God. Well, they're not designed that? to seek. They're not designed to seek truth. They're designed to avoid it, to make, yeah. make you feel comfortable in avoiding it. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was a big thing with Chester. And, he wanted people to, to get to the deeper, you know, get to the root of it. What are we? Why mm -hmm. are we here? What's good? What's good really mean? And his frustration mm -hmm. was that nobody wanted to talk about that. They just want to jump right to the fads and the, and the maxims. The fads and the maxims. And he he was ahead of his time because he saw all this coming, didn't he? Right. Where that, we are and that's now. one thing, you know, one reason I wanted to get people into Chesterton is he it feels like he's talking about today. And it's uh -huh. just uh it's just amazing. I mean, I know this is kind of a long passage, but uh it it fits our time so much. 
He says, suppose that a great commotion arises in the street about something. Let us say a lamppost, which many influential persons desire to pull down. A gray-clad monk who is in the spirit of the Middle Ages is approached upon the matter and begins to say in the arid manner of the schoolman, let us first all consider, my brethren, the value of light, if light be in itself good. At this point, he is somewhat excusably knocked down. All the people make a rush for the lamppost. The lamppost is down in ten minutes. They go about congratulating each other on their unmedieval practicality. But as things go on, they do not work out so easily. Some people have pulled the lamppost down because they wanted the electric light. Some because they wanted old iron. Some because they wanted darkness, because their deeds were evil. Some thought it not enough of a lamppost. Some too much. Some acted because they wanted to smash municipal machinery. Some because <laughs> they wanted to smash something. And there is war in the night, no man knowing whom he strikes. So gradually and inevitably today, tomorrow, or the next day, there comes back the conviction that the monk was right after all, and that all depends on what is the philosophy of light. Only what we might have discussed under the gas lamp, we now must discuss in the dark. Hmm. But, I mean, I just, well, I think I had reread that, but that was when uh, the Antifa riots were really at their peak. And I just, uh, uh, I love the imagery. Everybody wanted to tear that light down, but they have no idea why. And then in that darkness, right. realizing they need to... Now they're trying to figure out what is light, and they don't even have light to use an, as an example. So they knocked it out of their philosophy. Yeah, they even went to the it's point where favorites. they wanted to tear down. Uh, they wanted to tear down statues of Abraham Lincoln, the man who freed the slaves. Right. Yeah, they're all tearing down <laughs> what, the statues. What are you doing? <laughs> he, he's on your side. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, literally, believing nothing can be good but them and their philosophy that they just invented. Mm. To not have the you know, to, to not be able to look back and, and see that every fad, every philosophy of every age has had a lot of things wrong. And to think that somehow we're the, you're the one unique one that's got it all right. It's very right. old. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that's what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. That, mm. and, and, and Chesterton, I was reading in Orthodoxy today that, and I think this is also in your book that he's going on, it's easy to be a snob. It's easy to say, oh, we're brighter and better than everybody else. It's hard to be orthodox in the sense that we're going to hold on to what we know is true, despite the fact that it is unpopular today. Right. Yeah. It's, it's easy yeah. to go with the flow. It's easy to say, oh, yeah, the culture's right, because the culture's going to applaud you for that. Chesterton saying, no, mm -mm. it's, it's yeah, hard to stay famous. true to what's true. What? Go ahead. A famous mm -hmm. quote of his is also, uh, a dead thing goes with the stream. Only a living thing can go against it. Ooh. <laughs> you get, you know, I love that one. And he, You're going to get all these witticisms, the, uh, by the way, in Ethan's new yeah. book. It's called Chesterton's Gateway, 14 essays, essays to Get You Hooked on Chesterton. Ethan, where can I learn more about you personally? I know we got BabylonB.com, but where can people go to learn more about you and your other books you've written? Uh, EthanNicole.com. Nicole is spelled N-I-C-O-L-L-E, two L's, no H. Uh, I'm actually a, uh, this is my only book like this ever written. I've got a children's book called Brave Valley Possum. I'm very proud of it. It's a really fun kind of bedtime story, epic bedtime story uh -huh. to read to your kids. A little scary, but ultimately very hopeful. Um, I got a book called Bears Want to Kill You, uh, a book, a survival <laughs> guide in a world where bears will definitely kill you. And, uh, -huh. uh Lots of stuff. My my old band actually has put out an album, that, or our old album, and re remixed it and released it. So I got a lot of stuff. I mean, mostly I've been an illustrator most of my life, so you can see a lot of my artwork there. But that's one thing that drew me to Chesterton. I think it's the way he thinks. He thinks like an artist. He's all over the place. And uh, 
And, and when I found out he was a failed illustrator, I was like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> he's my man. My not, not to mention he's 300 pounds. So. <laughs> well, check him out, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, and by getting Ethan's new book, Chesterton's Gateway. You can get it in Audible, too, which, uh, right. Ethan, you really like and other people really like. So you can do that or you can get the hard copy as well. There's a hard uh, cover, soft cover, Audible, and Kindle. And don't and forget you can also get it from my site if you want to. What? Go ahead. Sorry. I, you can also get it from my site uh, if you want a signed copy or anything for Christmas or something like that. Um, oh, my great. other books are available there, too. Great. Hey, it's all Ethan, Amazon thanks for being on. Thanks for pulling this together. It's a, it's a, it's a great me. work and a necessary work, ladies and gentlemen. Ethan Nicole, check him out at his website. Also, Port St. Lucie, Florida this weekend, Seattle, Washington next weekend. And I'll be back here, Lord willing, with you guys next week. God bless. Merry Christmas. See you.